Productize Podcast. I'm Brian Castle. Thank you, as always, for tuning in. I appreciate it. Before we dive into today's conversation, we're going to roll the audio from one of my recent YouTube videos where I am answering questions from folks who reply to any of my newsletters. You can do that anytime to get it featured on the channel and here on the podcast. So today, here is my answer to one of those questions. How do you deal with the feast and famine in freelancing? Let's get into it today. Hey folks, Brian Castle here. Got another question from a reader today. Uh, His name is Brian as well. So he says, what do you do about the fluctuations in earnings, i.e. the mountains and valleys in freelancing, otherwise known as the feast and famine cycle in in freelancing? And this is something that anybody who is new to freelancing and many not so new freelancers deal with this issue of, of the feast and famine cycle. I definitely did when I started out as a freelance web designer Wow, this was like over 12 years ago now. <laughs> of course, I don't really do that sort of freelance work anymore, but I, I remember this issue really, really well. So I've got three specific tips that have definitely worked for me that it took me a long time to learn, but looking back on, on these years, definitely led to breaking that feast and famine cycle as a freelancer. The first tip is to always be prospecting for your next freelance gig, even when you're busy, maybe especially when you're currently busy on projects. This is something that that a lot of new freelancers don't do. You know, they get kind of overwhelmed with the current projects. And then all of a sudden, a month later, two months later, they're left with no new projects because they didn't lay the groundwork for a pipeline of, of new deals coming through. And failure to do this is usually the thing that leads to freelancers not making it as a freelancer and having to go back to a full-time job. Now, we can get into other things like scaling up into a productized service and, and doing other kind of more advanced things. But in the very early days, if you, if you do nothing else, just focus on this, which is always prospect, always devote time to prospecting, even when you're currently busy. So how do you do that? Well, uh, number one, you know, set aside at least a day a week, maybe, maybe even just a morning a week, like every Monday or every Friday morning, that, that's your time to, to do prospecting. And, and you have to prioritize that even above your current deadlines, your current projects. Whatever it is that you do to, to go prospecting early on, maybe it's like you're, you're scrolling through Upwork potential job leads or, or, or responding to job board ads or, or sending outreach emails to contacts or things like that. Whatever you do on a routine basis, you should figure out what those things are, obviously, and just build it into your, your routine, make it non-negotiable. The second tip is to start to book projects in advance. You know, you might be thinking, well, if I'm already busy today and I'm doing all this work of, of ongoing prospecting, how do I even book projects if I have no more hours in my day? Well, obviously, that's a really good problem to have. And you want to develop that problem because <laughs> that, that's ultimately the problem that you want to solve is how to, how to grow your business out of that. But again, in the short term, what you could do is just start to book projects in advance and even use that as a selling point. You know, I know a lot of freelancers and small agencies who say, well, we're already kind of booked up for June, but well, we have a slot available for July. So if you want to grab that, now's the time to grab it. You know, that, that's usually a good selling point. It adds a little bit of urgency when you're having these conversations with, with prospects. Okay, so now let's get a little bit more advanced with it, right? How can you start to reduce the amount of time that you actually need to do active prospecting? Like, how do you break away from from the job boards and break away from scrolling through Upwork gigs every every day or every week? Well, this one seems counterintuitive, but I highly, highly recommend it. And that is do things that don't pay. That's right. You're a freelancer. Maybe you charge by the hour and your time is very valuable. 
but you need to start to, to actually commit time to doing things that don't immediately pay you for the time that you, that you put into them, but they will pay dividends over time. Believe me, they will. So I'm talking about things like creating content. So like publishing your own ideas to your blog, to a podcast, to videos that gets your unique perspective and opinions out there. And it, and it helps to build a small audience. And you don't even need a very large audience to, to have that sort of stuff result in ongoing freelance inquiries. That kind of stuff also helps to break away from relying completely on referrals. Building a referral network is great. That, that will always help. But you want to get to a point where strangers are just coming to you for, for new work. Other things that you can do that don't immediately pay, go out of your house, go out of your building and attend conferences. Now, as I record this here in 2020 with the global pandemic, obviously that's not as, as easy to do. But there are some, some online conferences and things. But once the economy opens up again, conferences will come back. Local meetups will come back. You want to be going to those things. I, for the first few years of, of my work uh, being self-employed, I did not go to many conferences and I struggled. If I look back to the years where I began meeting people and going to conferences and joining in-person communities, that was a huge step up and it, and it clearly made a difference in my ability to grow my business. Another really good idea to do is to actually do some personal projects that obviously won't pay, but they're interesting. Maybe they serve some need in the world. Maybe, maybe they can help get you know, exposure. So if you're a developer, you can build a free tool. If you're a writer or, or a content creator, you can create a free course. You know, just create something interesting and put it out to the world. Number one, it just shows your skills and your ability to make the thing. Number two, if it's interesting and valuable enough, that, that can be a traffic generator, that can, that can cause buzz, that can, you know, get people talking about you. It, it, it creates recognition. I mean, if you think about all the people who you know, who you follow, on social media, or you see talking up on stage at a conference, how do you think that they got there? It's because they've done, they've done interesting things that are noteworthy, that, that get people talking and want to learn how they did that. So the best way for you to be, become one of those people is to do interesting things and put things out to the world. Again, you're not going to get paid for the, for the time that you put into that stuff, but it pays dividends over time. The last tip is to transition to recurring revenue services, otherwise known as retainer services as a freelancer. So instead of living project to project where you do one project and you get paid for it, maybe you get a deposit and then a final payment, a retainer service obviously is somebody is paying you every month for you to, to do some work on a repeated recurring basis. Now, in, in many ways, you know, subscription revenue, recurring revenue, that's kind of like the holy grail in, in business these days, because the beauty of it is that at the start of every month, you don't, you're not starting from zero revenue again. You're starting from the baseline of the, of the subscriptions that you've built up in the previous months. And then you can just build on top of that. And that, that's why subscription revenue, recurring revenue is so powerful in terms of growing revenue over time. But also by its very nature, if you're doing recurring services, that means the services themselves are more repeatable, more predictable. You can start to streamline them. You can build templates. You can build processes to make them easier and faster and more efficient for you to do every month. That, that also paves the way for you to create a process that you can start to delegate, maybe even hire your very first assistant or hire somebody on your team to, to start to carry out some of those services for you. 
And again, as you're growing that recurring revenue, that's how you develop the, the profit margin to be able to hire more people and start to grow your business, start to grow it beyond yourself. Now, recurring revenue can be difficult to find. One easy tip is to look for productized services. I mean, I run a productized service called Audience Ops where we hire freelance writers and copy editors and we hire them on a recurring retainer basis. So we have freelancers, they are freelancers, but they've been working for my business for a long time. We're talking years on a a part-time recurring basis, just delivering their work. And if you can find businesses who have this sort of ongoing need, but maybe not a need for full-time salaries, that could be a really good opportunity. And there are more of these productized services popping up these days as it is. And there are always more of these more productized service companies or productized you know, agencies who, who need freelancers to rely on on a repeated recurring basis. That, that's always a good place to start there. So once you dial in these three things, you know, always doing prospecting on an ongoing, never-ending basis, even when you're busy, and you know, doing things that don't pay, and transitioning to recurring revenue services, these are the kinds of things that will sustain you well past that first year of freelancing, and, and you'll be on your way. So if you've got another question for me to answer, hit reply on any of my email newsletters, and I will get to it here on the YouTube channel. And if you've got any feedback on this one, anything that you're thinking about, hit a comment on this video, hit subscribe on the YouTube channel. I appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in. Today on the show, I'm talking to Sam Shepler. He's the founder of Testimonial Hero. This is a really interesting business to me, you know, where they're doing these video testimonials for companies. And we're talking like really high quality really well done, high production value videos. And you, and you should definitely go check out some of these examples on his website at testimonialhero.com. What's interesting to me is, that, is how he's built this network of videographers in all these major metro areas so that he can bring on clients you know, from anywhere and, and send these videographers in-house to get the footage of, of the interviews and the, and the testimonials from his customer's customer, I guess. But then that stuff gets sent back to, to Sam's team who does the editing and the production and, and, the, and the delivery of these testimonials. So we talked all about that. We talked about how uh, Sam is making the, the adjustments in this uh, COVID-19 world that we're all kind of living in, which is kind of scary, but you know, strangely exciting and, and energizing to think about how we can you know, change our businesses and see how it comes out the other side stronger for this. We really got into it here. This is a really good conversation. Yeah, I hope you enjoy it. Here's my conversation with Sam Shepler, founder of Testimonial Hero. All right, Sam Shepler. Sam, how's it going, man? It's going well, Brian. Uh, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. So you and I have known each other for uh, for some time now, and and we've been you know, talking a lot in, in the productized community, and and we actually hung out a few years back in uh, at at my Big snow, tiny conf uh, retreat where we did some snowboarding. Uh, that was fun. Yeah, that was a blast. It's funny. We, uh, I think that there was a, it was a bit rainy, so we ended up doing a lot of hanging out and a little bit less snowboarding. But yeah, that was that was a, that was a blast. Yeah, was it one of those years? I, I know in the past <laughs> few years, like it's been so hit or miss, and and like really less than fifty percent of the time we we actually make it out to the mountain on both days these days and in the east at least. Absolutely. Yeah. No, that that was that was a great time though. Great group of folks. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I've been wanting to kind of, 
you know, share your story with, uh, with a wider audience um, for some time now, because I, what you've been doing with Testimonial Hero has been really, really awesome to watch. If I remember correctly, actually, when we, when we hung out in, in Vermont, were you just getting started with this or you had started it a little bit before that? Yeah. So that was um, January of 2018. And I had started it about a month or two before, uh, but it was very, you know, early days. So, so effectively, I started, you know, really going full time on it, you know, right after big snow. And so yeah, that that was uh, basically the genesis, I kind of took the uh, took a lot of the uh, inspiration and uh, feedback from from all the conversations there. And then yeah, that was basically the genesis. Yeah, cool. So we're gonna, you know, in this in this interview, we're gonna kind of jump around like I usually do. We'll we'll talk about the early days of how you got this started, really more so on on how how your operation and the product and the packages work today. I think you have a really interesting, kind of a unique twist. I want to get into that with how you have videographers like everywhere in all these different major cities. I want to dig into that a little bit. Um, we you know we can't really ignore the fact that we're recording this, like all the interviews that I'm doing these days right now. Today is Tuesday, March 31st. So we're right in the thick of, of this thing with, with coronavirus in, in 2020. You know, I don't know when, when folks might be listening to this down the road in the future. Frankly, this episode might come out a month from now in the world. <laughs> if it has gone any, how the past month has gone, it's like completely hard to predict how the next month is going to go. So we're just kind of living day to day here. I mean, how are things going on your end and, and where are you based right now? Yeah. So, you know, so I'm in Boston and you know, our team is already remote. So that has been totally fine. All of our team is, is remote. It, it absolutely has been a new challenge with the fact that a big part of our business model has to do with uh, videographers going to offices. So now we're, you know, we have new constraints and we're being forced to adapt to that. And ultimately, we will make it out, you know, a stronger business as long as we make it, you know, past that survival line, right? Yeah. And, and that's what I think, you know, that's that's the way I'm thinking of it. And I, I think it is a pretty good way to think about it is like, we're, you know, we don't know how long this thing is going to last. However, you know, when it, when it comes to an end, it's going to be, you know, things are going to come back in a big way, right? However, we just got to get through that period you know, probably not, aren't going to, you know, we're definitely reforecasting in terms of like our expectations uh, on like a revenue front, which is obviously never fun, but, you know, we're just going to you know figure out what we have to do to get through it past that, you know, survival line. And then, you know, we're looking forward to taking off uh, when everyone is, you know, back to business as usual and people are just really happy to you know, just be able to do business again. Right. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think everybody's business is is impacted these days, especially, you know, I, I am hearing and seeing a lot of productized services. Mine mine certainly is. And, you know, like we were chatting about this in Slack earlier, like I find it strangely energizing and motivating. It, it's these things are so unpredictable and they can be really stressful and especially to deal with uncertainty and and it's basically impossible to project in the next few months, the rest of this year, but that tends to energize me to come up with new ideas, think creatively about where do I need to be smart about where I'm investing time and focus and what adjustments need to be made? How do we adapt to this? And, and like you said, I mean, how can we come out on the other side as a, with a stronger business and a stronger product and, and everything, stronger team, all of it? 100%. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, why don't we, uh, we kind of come back to Testimonial Hero and really what it is, you know, b- before all this 
Corona business kind of started. Yeah, tell tell us like what's what's the, like the pitch or the overview of, of what is Testimonial Hero? Absolutely. So Testimonial Hero is where our video testimonial service focused pretty specifically on helping B2B software companies create uh, world-class customer testimonial videos anywhere in the world uh, with zero travel fees in you know 30 days or less. So, you know, again, very tightly focused on a pretty specific uh, market of, you know, business to business software companies, typically in the 100 to 300 person, you know, company size. And we use, you know, company size rather than, you know, by persons, you know, as a targeting filter, because it's easy to filter on LinkedIn versus like revenue, you know, it's like sometimes harder to figure out, but uh, it's very easy to filter on LinkedIn. and you know, that's, that's just works well for us um, because I think larger companies have a little bit more budget, right? Mm-hmm. And that's something that I, I, I think is one thing all of us in the productized service space can really use sometimes a reminder about is like, even though a lot of times, you know, we make products for our, our peers, but, you know, it's like sometimes as a productized service, serving the enterprise or, you know, larger companies can make things uh, much, much easier versus, yeah. you know, selling to other, you know, small businesses, right? Yeah, I mean, that that is a great point. I, I know that I've fallen into that myself quite a bit over the years where it's like, you know, would I pay for this for my business? Well, maybe, maybe not. But, you know, the people that I end up selling a service to, a lot of them are from these larger organizations that to them, this price is a no brainer, even it's, it's, it's just a steal to them compared to like hiring people in house to do this sort of stuff. The thing that always struck me about testimonial here, and I maybe I just haven't seen other other businesses doing this. It just seemed unique and interesting to me is the fact that you do have this basically a videography crew or like a network of videographers in your website says fifty four different major metro areas. And when you just described it, you you said you know literally anywhere in, in the world. I mean that's really interesting because. Usually, by their nature, video professionals or video agencies are local to one area, and if they're going to do any sort of recording of footage, you know, editors can can work remotely from anywhere. But if you're doing the camera work, you kind of have to be on site wherever that's happening. That's always been interesting to me. Like, was that the like? How did that come about in terms of like building this as a business remotely but locally? Absolutely. So you know, the first there's a, there's a couple different answers. The short, funny answer is I just got tired of traveling <laughs> myself, right? Right. I had a, uh, prior to this, I had another agency that I ran for about five years and it was, you know, very much a traditional video agency, right? So like we would pack up all our gear, hop on a plane and eventually I wasn't the one doing that. But, you know, even though nevertheless, if we had our videographers, you know, flying to San Francisco, that was going to cost the client extra. And it was also going to mean we couldn't really schedule anything else that day. So it was it was a, you know, a mix of uh, when I started over, I didn't have any videographers, it was just me. So I was like, well, I, I don't really want to be, you know, hopping on a plane, you know, every week, but I do want to be doing projects every week. So so it was definitely that, you know, it was a really a mix of thinking, what's good for the customer? Because ultimately, that's, you know, the most important thing, right? But, you know, also, it's like, you know, for these type of businesses, for all of us, they're really, you know, lifestyle businesses in the best way possible. So, 
And I think that, you know, personally has always been something that I try to think about is like, okay, like, you know, how can I find what aligns with both my customer, what my customer wants, and also, you know, the lifestyle that I want as a founder. So, so effectively, you know, in this situation, that means, you know, we can, you know, build this network of, of videographers, eliminate, you know, myself having to travel and still, in, you know, eliminate the travel costs for the client and still be able to do, you know, great work. And so that's, you know, all of those things, you know, are just a, a big win-win. Yeah, very cool. We're going to jump back to this videographer network that you have a little bit later in the interview. I want to hear about how you find them, vet them you know, hire them and, and all that. But I'm just curious in terms of like what you're offering clients. So so you say that you, you have crew members in 54 major metro areas. Does that like cover, obviously they're all the major ones. So does that cover all of your client base, most of it? Like what happens if you get a lead from some city where you just don't have a videographer set up yet? Absolutely. I, I, I think, you know, the short answer is we, you know, onboard, you know, someone new in that city. And we can typically do that in, you know, as long as we have about two weeks of lead time, you know, we, we should be able to do that. And as long as it's in like an English speaking, you know, area. So basically, in a sense, it's sort of like, you know, it's not that dissimilar from the sort of philosophy of like Uber and Lyft where, and I've never actually formally studied how they do it, but from, from what I understand, it's like, okay, if they don't have this city on the map. They do what they need to do to get it on the map. And that includes, you know, recruiting drivers, training them, you know, explain the process. And and it's not too dissimilar, you know, for us. And, and it's really, you know, it's also actually much easier because we only need, you know, one or two videographers for any given area in general versus, you know, yeah. a whole fleet of drivers. I guess the question that I have in my mind there is like, it feels like you're taking a bit of a risk when it's in an area that you haven't hired for before. And say you have the two week lead time and you signed a client. Now you got to find a videographer who you've never worked with before. Like you, you must have it down to a process and a science now to, to how to vet pe these people. And of course you have a video background, your team does. So you must be able to see a, a local videographer's work and understand like, yeah, this person is legit. How do you deal with that? sort of thing like just like knowing or having that confidence that a that a brand new person on the on the ground in some city will will deliver what you actually need definitely yeah and and so part of it you know is is just like you said i've been in the you know my whole career actually has been in video so i can pretty quickly you know understand uh and just kind of see i sort of see things that you know most people wouldn't just like anyone who's who's put in that like 10,000 hours right but also, I think, you know, we definitely do have, you know, a, a bit of a, a process there that, that is unique and that, you know, it's maybe the, the only thing that I, I won't get too much into just because like that is sort of, you know, one of our biggest competitive advantages, right, is how we sort of you know, have this, this network. Yeah. I will say that if you are a video person, there's a lot you can tell, right, from like, you know, watching people's work and then, you know, talking with them. Just like, you know, interviewing people for, to hire for a job, there's, there's a lot of, you know, things you can pick up on. Yeah. You know, it's interesting that you, the, the way that you mentioned it, the way that you talk about it there, like it's a competitive advantage. I really actually like that because when I think about like in my business audience ops, it's actually one of the selling points that I talk to leads or, or my salesperson has talked to leads about 
you know, like it's it's one of the reasons why they come to us or why somebody would come to Testimonial Hero too is like because you've nailed the process of hiring really high quality professionals. So like we're hiring writers, you're hiring videographers and video editors, and that takes trial and error. That takes a you know professional background and and that sort of thing. And and that in itself is a you know people don't often think about that as as that as playing into the value proposition. You think about the pricing, you think about the final deliverable, but but it really it's the hiring process, you know, and like we have a person internally who does that vetting and interviewing and we whittle it down to like the top 1% of hundreds of writer applicants and things like that. And, and all of that plays into the, the ultimate value that the customer is getting from these sorts of things. 100%. And, and honestly, I think also for us, you know, we can do a lot of QA after the fact if need be you know, on the editing side, you know, so like, we've certainly had situations where, you know, we needed to do that. But for writing, yeah, I 100% agree. I mean, I've worked with a lot of different, you know, kind of like content agencies. And like, you know, honestly, it all comes down to how good the writers are, you know, in my opinion, and it doesn't matter, you know, how, how that's almost the most important thing, like the stable of writers, do they have the, you know, industry experience? And, you know, to kind of talk in a credible way, which I, I'm glad you're bringing up because I think for so long, I think, uh, you know, for better and for worse in product services, there's been sort of, you know, maybe like a, a, a discounting of the people, uh, the, the role that like individuals and talent plays and, and uh, you know, nothing against, you know, offshore, you know, labor and, you know, you know, having teams in the Philippines, I think there, there's a lot of reasons to, but I think you know we're sort of seeing this this sort of trend, which I think is a great thing in product as services, where it's like no longer are you necessarily gonna you know build like a category leading business just with like a bunch of people you, that you're paying you know very cheaply. That might have been possible in the early days, right? But now product as services are maturing, and the space is just maturing, and and definitely like. People are such a huge, you know, competitive advantage. Yeah, and I mean, especially when you're dealing with enterprise, but even even smaller businesses too. I mean, it, there's a level of quality that that people come to expect. And I firmly believe I get this question so much: is like, you know, when productized services feel like built off templates or very cookie cutter, or everything is the same that for every customer. Well, actually, you can build it the way that you've done it here with Testimonial Hero, like. So like high quality videography and editing and really talented people, but it could still follow a process. You know, it could still, the, the way that you execute projects can still be organized and scalable, but within those projects, it's still a very talented, experienced person doing the work. Absolutely. And, and I think that that's also a good point, which I think it doesn't necessarily, you know, maybe come across or, you know, isn't as apparent as that. You know, it, things like it, it's it's not like it's a productized. It's either productized or, or not. There's certainly like a, a, a sliding scale of productization within you know productized service businesses. Yeah. And I think you know, for certain businesses, you know, I would say maybe some businesses out there would actually be improved by slightly less productization, and which is like kind of counterintuitive. Yeah, I actually wanted to ask you a little bit about that. This gets us into kind of the pricing and packaging. And and one thing that I noticed, which is these days, it's kind of half and half. Like I, I see some people publish their prices on the website. They show different packages. Others 
you know, it's like request a quote or, you know, there, there isn't really a clear indication of the pricing. I noticed with Testimonial Hero, it's, you're not showing the pricing today. I guess I'm curious about your, your thoughts on that and what does the quoting process look like? And if you're able to share, you know, what kind of a, a typical price point or package looks like for you guys, you know, with the caveat, like I always say on the show, prices can and, and do change very often. So obviously you don't want to quote, quote him on that today, but yeah. How do you think about the quoting process and how does that look with testimonial hero? Definitely. Yeah. And, and I think that is something that it is very much productized, but it's kind of productized in private. So like we have, you know, have like a, a, a standard, you know, proposal. It, it used to be fresh books. You know, we, we would just have, you know, a template fresh books and, you know, basically every, client would, would get the same proposal, you know, you know, recently it was typically about, you know, seven to, you know, $8,000 for, you know, one, you know, video, one 90 second testimonial. I think, you know, we're probably, you know, going to increase that over time. But the other wrinkle for us is that a lot of times people would say, okay, well, what if I get a package of, you know, three or four or five? So then we'd sort of, you know, and we had like a product, uh, productized, or a process for that, at least we'd say, okay, like three videos is, you know, X percent discount, you know, four videos is, is, um, you know, Y percent. Mm -hmm. So basically in, in just, you know, my whole like kind of two cents is like, there's like productization in, you know, public. And then there's like productization behind, you know, in the back office. And that is, is absolutely, you know, you know, we, we probably are more productized in, in the back office. In yep. terms of the public pricing or not, I think I've thought about that a lot. So the reason in my current thinking, you know, for better or for worse, is that for us, you know, being a bit of a you know, relatively high ticket, although honestly for our customers, it's not, I don't know, like our customers, some customers think it's expensive, some customers think it's really cheap. And that's just like sure. enterprises have very wildly ranging perceptions there. But the, the main thing is, I, I think, you know, the, the, the higher ticket, the price, the more, you know, important it is to, you know, really make sure value is, is firmly established. Yeah. And also, it's, it's frankly just a nice, you know, lead gem thing for us. We haven't put the time in yet to do like, um, have an amazing lead magnet. So historically, big reason why people would reach out to us is, you know, just to get to get a quote. So So that, you know, for us has been one of the biggest reasons is like, we just want we have it productized in the back end, but we certainly want people to, you know, reach out to get pricing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I could totally see that. I've, I've seen that in, in a few different businesses of mine where I've experimented in different ways with not showing the pricing up front and kind of collect at least some basic information from the person to show them some pricing information and then, and then work off of that. I guess another way, because like the, the immediate question that I have when I see a, a, a site like a public website that's not showing prices is is that, you know, there must be a lot of leads that are just not qualified. You know, they're thinking these are like $200 testimonial videos when we're talking, you know, way, way higher quality, way, way more expensive than that. I guess, first of all, do you deal with a lot of that? And, and, and I'm also wondering, like, maybe since you're doing more like outbound sales, and we'll get more into the sales outreach and LinkedIn and stuff a little bit later on here, but maybe because you're doing more outbound and pre- qualifying or prospecting what you show on the on the public website in terms of showing prices or not maybe doesn't matter as much yeah so that's a that's a great point i think we're not at the point yet in terms of lead volume where it's too painful and certainly i'm a big fan of like make change once it gets too painful yep 
So, so we're, I would say we're not there yet. Other, I've certainly thought about, I, and I, I, I saw this on a, a site the other day on their, on their quote form, they had like a radio button that said, our prices start at $5,000, you know, mm-hmm. is that okay with you? So, so that's something that we, we've, you know, thought about doing is like, you know, maybe saying like, you know, our prices start at $6,000 or something. So a little bit less than, you know, our average project. But, you know, who knows, you know, like instead of like plastering it across the pricing page, maybe just like tuck it into an FAQ somewhere or in the contact form or something. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that that can help. Although right now we're we're definitely also developing, you know, in in, in the light of coronavirus situation, we're also developing a, you know, not necessarily cheaper, cheap, but, you know, definitely cheaper remote only testimonial option, video testimonial option. So you know, right now, while we're developing this new product, you know, I'm, you know, very, and I do have, you know, another reason is I I have a full-time sales guy who who handles it. So it's also like, it's not taking my time, but I'm pretty happy to, you know, just talk to all people who reach out just for customer research, you know, just at this time, given, given we're working on developing the product, but yeah, absolutely. If it, if it got to a point where the lead volume was so high with just totally unqualified people, then yes, we would, that w- would be a change we would make, but it, it isn't there yet. That would actually be a great problem to have. So I, I hope we get there, but uh, unfortunately not there yet. Yeah. And you know, it is a great point to be kind of hungry for, for these calls, even if some of them are not qualified it is customer research. And since right now you're sort of in this like all of a sudden like you know product development mode again uh with coronavirus and thinking about new offerings you know now is definitely a great time to just hop on a phone and talk to customers you know even if you weren't doing that as much before i know that i've been doing that a lot with process kit the product that i've been rolling out and that's more of a saas you know software product but it, for a few months there and i'm going back and forth on this now depending on what i'm working on but i was actually forcing demos like you can't even start a trial without booking a call on my calendar and it resulted in a ton of calls every day but it was also a ton of really great learning and really helped me prioritize exactly which features we need to build and which ones we can hold off on definitely yeah uh, and i think it reminds you of the saying like sometimes you have to go slow to go fast right you know it's important to you know do that sometimes yeah for sure just a minute to tell you about productize If you're sick of the client services treadmill, well, there's a better way, a productized service. That's why I built Productize. It's a private community and training program for people like you and me. We're operating a client services business and we're scaling it up using the productized service model. Join our private Slack, our private forum, and get matched into your own small mastermind group with other members. Give and get honest, constructive feedback grow your productized service business this year. Plus, get access to my productized course, which gives you everything that you need to start, grow, and systematically build your productized service business. The best part about becoming a member? No ongoing subscription. Purchase once and you get lifetime access to everything. Go to productizecommunity.com for all the details. And right now you can get 10% off by using this special URL, productizecommunity.com slash podcast. So I, I also just wanted to clarify for the folks listening, like what else happens? So, so, they, so you do a quote, somebody fills out the form, and then, and then what happens? Sure. So they, they contact us. 
they fill out the form. They usually don't say too much. <laughs> They're just like a couple sentences looking to get some testimonials, you know, something like that. Because we don't really enforce any like specific questions. We're just trying to make it easy. Then our sales guy follows up with them. If, you know, sometimes he'll, if, if they're clearly not like a, a good fit or, or it's like a Gmail address or, you know, or, or whatever, um, you know, he'll like qualify them, you know, and say, Hey, just so you know, it's pricing starts at this. Or, you know, we do, you know, refer some people to, um, a service as well that I'm a big fan of, uh, Plaza Lab. It's like a really simple, you know, very cost effective testimonial solution. So sometimes we'll, we'll just refer people there. But, you know, assuming they're qualified we're, 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 or, you know, at least close to it, we'll, yeah, we get them uh, on a call, scope out uh, and, you know, answer, do some discovery. You know, I always like to, we have a, you know, repeatable discovery call process. You know, the basics of it are, well, what I found to work really well for this type of service is, you know, first, you know, just try to understand, you know, the context and, you know, ask them, you know, we, we ask them, okay, like, um, uh, what's going on? Like, uh, what made you, you know, uh, reach out about this, you know, try to figure out, you know, how does this fit into their, you know, larger initiatives, right? So that's, that's re- really big to understand, not just that they want the testimonial, but how this really fits into the larger situation. Yeah. Because I guess that would help you shape like the questions and what you, what you focus on in the testimonial and things like that. Definitely. And, and, and frankly, I think it also just helps the, with the proposal and, and just reminding them, okay, like, here's what we're trying to accomplish with this video, you know. And then like how custom is the, once you get to the proposal stage, like, is that custom? I mean, it is pretty productized in terms of what you're doing. I'd, I'd imagine it's, you're using some templates. Yeah, it's so basically just, I mean, it, it sort of depends. I'd say 90% of the projects are, you know, it's a templated proposal. and you know, we we change a couple of lines on the proposal. There's certainly I'm I, I'm not going to say like we there are you know outlined situations where we do have to like you know change something to work with someone's budget or or such, which I which I think is a good thing because uh, it allows us you know or at least it can be a good thing because it allows us to to be flexible and you know the client you know gets gets what they want. So again, I think, you know, we're sort of in that area where we can be productized on the back end, you know, 90 to 95% of the time, but, you know, flex if if necessary. Right. So, you know, we send over the proposal, you know, they, they sign off, we, we do discovery uh, on the goals in earnest because the sales call is, is, is not, you know, full discovery. Yeah. And do you have like a, like an account manager or a project manager that takes it from there? Or like, how does that? That was uh, something that we were in the, about to hire for, uh, and then we sort of put a pause on for the coronavirus uh, situation. So right now, I, I would say we have a lot of people. We have besides myself, we have uh, five other uh, employees, and you know we have a sales rep, we have operations director, and he's the closest thing that we have to an account manager. But okay. he definitely does a lot more than just account management. Sure. So he does handle that kind of onboarding, but he also handles a lot of other stuff. So so we don't have a dedicated account manager. That's definitely the next person that I'd I'd like to bring on there. Got it. And so he he's sort of the person who is overseeing all of the current new clients that are 
or I guess clients in general, right? Like who's, who's sort of like overseeing, like, this is what we have in the pipeline of new people, new interviews to schedule, new things to deliver and all that stuff. Yep. That's, that's him. And then, um, and also our creative director, since our creative director is actually, you know, a video expert, we find it's really important to, you know, have someone with the functional skills, you know, also involved. So, so it's, it's for better or for worse. We don't have like a single person responsible. It's sort of like a team effort between our uh, operations director, who is awesome, but not a video expert, and our creative director, who is the video expert, but isn't necessarily the logistics expert. Got it. The ops guy is more on the logistics. And then how about like the editors? Are are those with you in in Boston? Or or I mean, I, I know that you're all remote, but like... Are they part of your core team or do you also have like a network of editors? So for the for the editors, we have our creative director edits a lot still. Then we have another editor in uh, Minnesota who's uh, was previously was a, a contractor and that we just ended up hiring. And I think that that's like what well, it's one of the great things with you know roles like that is you can always just hire your best contractor if mm-hmm. if they're available. So and then we definitely, you know, we'll do staff, you know, we have like a, a network of contractors that, yeah, if we need to, we will reach out to for sure. And in, in those overflow periods, obviously, you know, with uh, COVID-19, it's definitely experiencing a slowdown. So unfortunately, yeah. I, I don't, I don't think we'll have to, but, uh, you know, again, you know, it would be nice if, if we get back to that very soon. Yeah. I mean, like, Back to COVID nineteen for a second. On on my end, one one thing that I I feel really good about right now is that the team is so solid, and we're all remote as well. So that it's not like we had a, we saw a huge disruption in terms of like our office or anything like that. But I feel good that we're we're not currently going through any sort of like team turnover, you know, people leaving or having to hire new people. Like that would be really difficult at a time like this. Of having a core group of contractors or, or full-time employees that that you feel good about that have been with you for a while that can like you know stick with you through through this thing is is a really good thing it's a you know you don't need the extra layer of of stress that comes with onboarding and as processed out as it is like hiring and training it's still still a little bit of a disruption in the business like you know having a having a new set of hands on board it yeah it, it definitely definitely is and yeah, it's it's challenging because yeah, it takes time to get that those people up to speed. Yeah, but it's also like so crucial. But then in like you know crisis times, it's you know there's never enough time. So yeah, that's definitely true. So and then like ultimately like getting back to like the package and what the customer gets. One question that I have because I've seen this come up in my business a little bit because we've done like customer case studies for clients mostly written like you know like article based case studies about about our clients customers and whenever we do those we're relying on the customer to introduce us to their customers so that we can interview them and build case studies out of them your entire business is is built on these testimonials and and arranging you know with with your clients customers how do you deal with that how do you get those booked like do you ever deal with like okay they bought from you but now you're just waiting on their customers to actually answer their email or things like that yeah you know honestly that is it's a big challenge and it's one of the most frustrating aspects of our of our business model for sure 
I don't have uh, it's I kind of call that the, the million the multi-million dollar question right if we could crack yeah. that we could go you know really far you know much faster you know I think it's it's interesting because I've asked people for feedback and on this question and some people have told me you know uh, this is like a major business model issue you know you never want to be in this situation you know blah 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 which which is is you know true but on the other hand you know we've grown a pretty good business dealing with it. The the short answer is it is a problem. It is like a blocker. Most people don't buy period until they, you know, have a customer who's agreed to say yes. Yeah. That being said, you know, we, there's a lot of people who need video testimonials. So, and you know, we we have a pretty good brand in the space. So I think we were able to get around it a bit just because of you know that it's a it's a big need there's a it's a big market and people really do want video testimonials it's definitely like you know pretty urgent well i like the fact that they probably come to you and once they've at least secured one or or a couple of customers like they've already right like they wouldn't they wouldn't sign with you until they know that they can have they can get some customers to agree to do testimonials right Definitely. Yeah. And the frustration is sometimes we will get, you know, sometimes we'll get a lead and, and they'll, they'll be like, oh, it's, you know, I love it. It's great. You know, I just need to like, you know, get approval from my customer. And then, you know, we have to follow up with them until they do that. But, you know, in general, you know, sometimes people, you know, leads come in and they're like, great, you know, we, we already have three customers who've agreed to do this, like, boom, let's get started right away. And obviously, that's the best, right? So I think the way I look at it is like, it's definitely one of the, the, the more challenging or unique challenges to like this sort of, you know, customer driven content. You know, you can't just like sell the prospect on the phone necessarily, because sometimes they do need to get that approval. Right. But every every business model has has its own, you know, unique, unique challenges. So if it wasn't this, it would be, you know, something else. else. So, I, so I've uh, sort of made my made my peace with it, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, the thing is, I, I think you you do this really well with uh, these are essentially one time sales. I mean, it's great when they when they buy a package of testimonials from you, right? Like, I guess that that was one of my other questions here was like, how do you generate repeat purchases or ongoing testimonials for for clients? Do you do much of that? Because I hear so many people ask me like, I've got this idea for productized service, but it's not recurring revenue, so I can't do it or I shouldn't do it. And that's not ideal if it's not recurring revenue. But, And then I see a lot of people trying to fit a non-recurring service into a recurring revenue box when that just doesn't fit. And that's just going to result in like high churn. And But if you can really optimize the one-time sale, a one-time project, it's still it's still possible to build a really great business on that as as you've shown, right? I mean, can you talk a bit about that? Like how do you how do you think about one-time sales, and then how how do you get those like repeat recurring purchases? Definitely, and and this is yeah, I, I have a I have some strong opinions about this, so I'm excited excited to talk about it. Yeah, so I think you know first of first and foremost, I think of it as like a repeat transaction, and again, similar to like you know Uber and, and Lyft, you know you know while they did you know come out with a subscription model for certain customers, I don't. You know, the vast majority of their their revenue is just you know repeat transactions, right? Mm-hmm. So basically, you know, it, it's the similar situation with us. You know, we don't know when our customers are going to buy again, 
just like Lyft doesn't know exactly when you'll take your next ride. But, you know, if you're happy with the service, you inevitably will. Yeah. And also, as people start using the service, we can we can begin to forecast. But the other thing is like, you know, this is maybe, you know, when, when I get a little bit more contrarian, but I think the most people in productized services are kidding themselves when they think that they have, you know, real MRR. Because if you actually look at the churn numbers and, you know, the average, you know, length the customer stays with them you know it, it's like is it really mrr or is it just like a package yeah even even if it's a recur even if it's set up as a recurring subscription many customers are still thinking of it like okay well i'm just gonna get 10 months worth of these deliverables and that's all i'm gonna need you know exactly and then the problem is when sometimes when you churn that customer you know if it was a subscription you know you've you've sort of lost them you know, for, for life potentially, you know, in, in a subscription basis, like you're probably there, they might not resubscribe, but if you're able to kind of stomach the volatility of the project-based repeat transactions rather than, than the, the subscription, then, you know, in our situation, like our customers, we very rarely lose customers. We just, you know, work with them, you know, a couple of times a year. We don't necessarily know or more to per, on some customers, we don't necessarily know when, but you know that's fine. We're gonna, and we're going to work with them for years to come because they love the service. So one of my, you know, and I'd love to like write. I should probably write a blog post about this, but like one of my things is like I think that a lot of people in the product and service space are obsessed with MRR, but for the wrong reasons. Not because it's not great. I, I I'm a big advocate of it, but a lot of people I think you know, use it a bit as like a vanity metric, you know, amongst amongst their peers, right? You know exactly, I think, what I'm talking about. But the thing is, in terms of, you know, so customer lifetime value is, in my opinion, you know, sh- should be looked at, you know, higher on the pedestal than, you know, uh, you know, MRR in a lot of cases. So it's like, okay, especially with high churn rate. But so basically, you know, for us, to, to, to get back to your initial question, is like, we've been able to, you know, grow the business you know, quite effectively. Um, well, I'm, I'm wondering about that. Like, are there any like specific tactics or things in your sales process, like late stage in the sales process? So they've already purchased before. Do you have like scheduled outreach from your sales guy to get, to get, you know, a, a repurchase or get them thinking about, Oh, maybe it's time to invite another customer for another round of testimonials, like things like that. That's a great point. We honestly, we don't do that, you know, super well, just because we are, Really, right now, a small team and growing pretty quickly, and and you know, haven't kind of yeah. you know put that process in place. However, I think for us, thinking about the lens of like what can people through the lens of what can people who are starting a product as service, you know, think about it's really comes back to like making sure you you know you pick something that is you know high value to the customer, right? So like, which is obviously just like you know entrepreneurship basics but it's really i think bears repeating it's like you know honestly because uh, video testimonials are genuinely you know for a certain type of you know client b2b software companies are genuinely just so so helpful and of course you know we we have to do you know blow them away and do an amazing job on them as well but you know they come back you know on their own just because it's it's that valuable so i think you know obviously the ideas aren't idea is never everything, you know, for the service, but like, 
again, for someone listening to this, who's like in the idea stage, it's so important to pick something that's like a, as I say, like a painkiller, not a vitamin, right? It's something that's really going to help the customer. Yeah. So before we kind of wrap it up here, I did want to touch a little bit on the beginning of the sales process, right? So, you know, I know that you, you must get some organic leads, maybe some referrals, but you have a salesperson and, and you mentioned LinkedIn, like, can you take us through or whatever you're able to share in terms of like, what does that process look like? How are they prospecting? What does the initial outreach look like? Yeah. Anything to, to give us a sense? Absolutely. So there's a couple of things that I, I would share. And, and, you know, one is, is just knowing, having a very, you know, specific persona. You know, we were very, you know, dialed in on who our target buyer is. So, so that would be, you know, the first thing, you know, for us, it's, you know, marketing directors at B2B software companies in the, you know, 100 to, to 300 person range. So once then, you know, once, you know, you're, you're dialed in on, you know, exactly, you know, who, who you're focusing on, you know, in terms of the actual outreach, I mean, one thing that we will do, and again, you know, not nothing, you know, super revolutionary about this. It's but you know, just add the people that we want to, you know, add our prospects on LinkedIn. Once they accept, we'll just put them in an email or start to email them. You know, when we have a sequence of you know about five emails that we send to everyone who accepts. What I've found works quite well for uh, like cold email is usually, you know, just one. The first email has like the bulk of it. You know, bulk of of the the pitch, or you know, the, the also just the bulk of the content, and then every email after that is just a couple of lines. You know, usually trying to get them to respond, and often you know, just it's try to like, find like don't be like yeah. too clever, like don't be too clever with it, right? Like people try to like oh, start a conversation in the first email, and then hint at what your offer is in the second or third email, but really it's about like you're here to sell them something. Let's not beat around the bush. Yeah. And just kind of give them what they need to know about the value prop, and then and then follow up to see if it's something they want to respond to. Definitely, and and, and I think you know, and, and obviously, there's a lot of things that depend on you know who who your target market is. But yeah, for us selling to you know marketing directors and and such, it's like yeah, we they value that directness. And another thing I think is um, I always want to in our cold emails, I always want to also never like assume. That you know we know exactly what they should do. Like I, I think you know there's a fine line between like you know assuming the sale and, and you know, being assumptive, but also you know having the you know sort of the empathy, particularly in, in this environment, which which is a whole other discussion, right? You know, sales tactics yeah. need so much more empathy in this this day and age or in this you know situation with coronavirus. But yeah, I think you know we, we, we never like pitch it you know super hard we just say it, we just kind of present it like look like you know here's exactly what we do you know here's what we do it for these are companies exactly like you that you know you've heard of that we've we've, we've done this for you know is if this is on your roadmap if this is on your plan you know we'd love to you know chat chat more and and you know give you some pricing etc and that's yeah. more or less the, the the approach that we take with our cold outreach yeah very nice and i i mean i'm sure you're your samples and, and examples must really play into it. I mean, just looking at your website, you've got so many examples on there and they just, obviously the quality is very high, but they pop right off the screen even before you press play, just just from looking at like the color of the thumbnail. So it's like, you know exactly kind of what you're dealing with just from clicking one of these, you know, very cool. 
Definitely. And I think that's, that's so important. Like as uh, we sort of spin up this new, you know, remote testimonial line of business, that's something I've been thinking about a lot, right. For like early stage go to market is like, you know, examples or the, you know, the portfolio of work, which, you know, obviously different productized services that takes different forms. But if someone's listening to this and they're just working on getting something off the ground, it's like the first things that you need are, you know, that portfolio whatever shape or form that takes, do the first couple for free. You know, if you need to just get a portfolio and then make do it for free and get a testimonial with it, then, you know, you can sell. Like if you can do that, if you're launching a productized service, you can do that, you know, get your portfolio and get some testimonials. Like that's all you need to then go to your cold email. Yeah, I do love the idea of working the the first couple of clients for free or, or heavily discounted. Like you said, it's for those testimonials, but it's also to learn the process, learn exactly what needs to be included, what doesn't need to be included and things like that. But that, I mean, that's a good point. Like we, we, we could start to end there here. I mean, talking about the time that we're in and looking ahead to the rest of the year, obviously things are so in flux, but what, what's on your mind in terms of any adjustments that you're making? You, you kind of hinted at some, some different, you know, reformulated packages around like remote testimonials. So what, what's all, how is this coming together for you? And, and also like, what's your process now for like, you know, rejiggering the product line after you've had a, a pretty established productized service? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. Um, I think, you know, in terms of where where my head's at, I think one of it is just sort of, you know, this is going to be a challenge, you know, looking at it with clear eyes, like it, it's a major disruption for our business model, you know, given that we had this in-person, you know, element to it. So we just got to make it past the survival line and in, in terms of you know when business goes back to normal, whether that's you know twelve months from now or hopefully less, maybe more. Yep. And so so that's I mean I'm not super focused on you know setting any you know revenue records like we previously were. If you asked me like thirty days ago. Right. So yeah, just kind of making sure you know we can still be around when this is over and you know be in an even better position than ever. That's definitely you know top of mind in terms of the you know, new kind of thinking about, you know, kind of rejiggering our you know product line and such that I'm still, uh, is still so new. I don't know if I have any, uh, you know, recent, that's such a recent development. I don't know if I have any really good, you know, insights yet, but I will say. Then how are you exploring it? Like what's your process now just to come back to like the idea stage, you know, like again, like for me, I'm not re relaunching my productized service right now or anything, but I am putting a lot of new energy right now into the productized side of stuff and and this whole coronavirus stuff, it, it kind of energizes me because it's like I'm back to this creative idea stage and just exploration and coming up with, and just writing notes and testing ideas and running them by friends and advisors. Like, what does that kind of look like for you right now? Yeah, absolutely. I think I think the first stage was sort of going into a little bit of like a brainstorm and, you know, consuming a ton of, you know, doing a lot of market research. And just, you know, coming up with my own kind of hypotheses. But then, you know, obviously it's important, you know, and that's just how I like to work. I love to just like consume a ton of information and then, you know, process it. But then, you know, once that took a day or two, and then after that, it's it's absolutely, you know, talking to customers. And, you know, it, it, for us, for businesses like like um, our businesses, we have, you know, customers list. So maybe it's different for you know, people who are, you know, starting a business in this scenario. But I've been trying to, you know, get uh, on calls with every single 
one of our customers uh, and basically just you know catching up with them, trying to understand how this um, crisis situation is affecting how they think about you know marketing yep. and you know how, how it's affecting their, their go to market definitely you know varies a lot by you know different customers different industries and then also sort of just getting their feedback on a couple of the different you know remote testimonial you know options uh, that that we're exploring because again um, you know just like the, we were such like a a, a, a physical you know we, we had a really a reliance on, on on just like the physical in-person videographers yeah but yeah now it's it's just gonna have to be remote at least until you know things get better um so yeah i think it's 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 important you know and, and just my two cents is like yeah you know that it's the mix of like that ideation you know independently but absolutely you know you know talking talking with uh customers as well yeah, very cool. Well, obviously, uh, testimonialhero.com is is the website that people can can check out, and maybe maybe we'll throw a bunch of unqualified leads into your funnel. We'll see. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Maybe some good ones. You, you know? Yeah, maybe yeah. some good ones. I mean, well, the remote the remote testimonial is, is actually going to be way more affordable. So, right, they could be great candidates for that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, is there anywhere else people can uh, connect with you or, or follow along with you? You know, I would say join uh, join the productize uh, Slack group. I, I, I love that. that's that's might be the other best way to to get in touch. But yeah, no, I think honestly, I yeah, will I, say, Sam, you, you've been like one of the one of the best like value added members in in the group uh, in the last few months. It's, it's been awesome to to chat with you there. I know I know others are are definitely you know inspired by watching you. So awesome, awesome. Yeah, no, I, I'm a huge fan fan of the group. I think it's it's awesome and. Um, I also, you know, I, I like Twitter. So Sam Shepler on Twitter is also, you know, a good way to, to get in touch, uh, if, especially for general, you know, entrepreneurship or, or such questions. Yeah, great. We'll get all these uh, linked up in the show notes. Well, Sam, you know, stay safe out there. Obviously, you'll be hunkering down in your house just like the rest of us. But, uh, you know, thanks. Thanks so much for, for digging into all this um, with us. I know I know folks are really going to get a lot out of it. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it was a, it's a pleasure, Brian. All right. Did that give you something to think about? If it did, let me know on Twitter. I'm at CastJam. If you want to find show notes on this or any of the other episodes or my weekly newsletter with new content, head over to productizeandscale.com. Now, if you haven't already, a five-star review in iTunes, that would go a long way to helping other folks find the show. Thanks for tuning in. I'll see you next time.